Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. It's a very sad day, this broadcast. Sad, sad, sad day, because this is the final broadcast going over St. John Paul II's The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. I have so enjoyed doing this series. I hope you have too. I really hate to say goodbye to it. That's why I'm sad. It's the 40th anniversary of this apostolic exhortation on the family. And in many ways, it's very unique in the entire history of the church. And it's simply invaluable. And today, my topic is how to renew the church and change the world. Now, this isn't my scheme. Um, I'm digging straight from the role of the Christian family in a modern world. So this is St. John Paul II, not me. But I'll just warn you, okay? And I'm a one who at one point in my life thought I was going to go into politics. I've been very involved in pro-life politics. And we're having midterm elections coming up soon and then a presidential election not too long after that. And, of course, you need to vote according to the Ten Commandments and for pro-life and everything else. But to be glued to your television set and thinking that you can cast a ballot every two years or every four years and you're going to change America, I'm telling you, um, as one who has been very involved in pro-life politics, this isn't the way, the most powerful way to change the world. John Paul II nailed it in the role of Christian family in the modern world. So let's dig in. And we're going to talk about first, okay, renewing the church. How, how does that happen? Because if the church is the light of the world, the salt of the earth, we want to see is there anything going on in the church that really needs renewal? Well, you probably have heard by now that there's a crisis of belief right within the Catholic Church. We're not talking about the fellas out there. We're talking about the people in the Catholic Church. There's a crisis of belief that Christ is really present in the Blessed Eucharist, that we really partake of his body and his blood. And yet the Pew Research folks said that only one-third of United States Catholics agree with their church that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. One-third. And 69% of Catholics say that during the Mass, the bread and wine brought forward, used in the communion, remain symbols of the body and blood of Christ. 69%. Now, somebody's going to flash back at me and said, yes, Steve, but you know, in these surveys, everybody says they're a Catholic and they haven't been to Mass forever. Okay, that's that's a valid point. So let's talk about the Pew survey as applied to the most observant group of Catholics, which Pew defined at, as those who go to Mass at least weekly. One-third of the group that goes to Mass weekly don't believe in the real presence of of the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, one-third. So what in the world are we going to do? Now, I'm not getting to the John Paul II point. I'm going to insert some of mine, and some people are going to get ticked at me for saying this, but so be it, okay? 
uh, uh, just a real recommendation, strong recommendation, is when you're explaining the Eucharist, use English. Don't use medieval scholastic terminology. It's guaranteed to lose whoever you're talking to. And I realize that priests and deacons in their training and seminarians get loads of philosophy and learn the terminology from medieval philosophy and want to use that with your average Joe to explain to them the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. You know, when I was in seminary, I went to an evangelical seminary. I had an Old Testament professor that had a requirement, if you didn't want to take his final exam, and it was a real tough final exam, you had to do a special project. And he made us write an outline for every book of the Old Testament. Now, I was only part A of the two-part assignment to avoid the final exam. The second part was that we had to outline a sermon, a practical sermon, based on the message of that text. In other words, here we are. This is a very uh, uh, kind of an intellectual, scholastic, theological kind of oriented class. The professor was a, a Harvard theology school graduate and all this type of thing. But he was smart enough to realize that he didn't want to set us loose outside of the seminary and try to teach a seminary class to people in the pew. He wanted something practical. And I would dare say, have a seminary requirement before any Catholic priest could be set loose outside of a seminary. They'd have to come up with a homily outline and maybe even practice giving it, explaining in English that everybody could understand the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And I'm just that's just my P.S. And along with that P.S., use the Gospel of John. Nothing is clearer. John is on its surface so simplistic, but it has a depth unlike anything, really, in the New Testament. So use John chapter 6. And if you really want to go deep, John 13 through 17 is Jesus's teaching in the upper room while he was instituting the Eucharist. You do those and you're going to bring people to a new level of their, not only their understanding of the Eucharist, but their appreciation for it. So in any case, I am going to advocate based on the teaching of John Paul II, and uh, we haven't done it this way in a long time, but a major change in how we prepare children and young people for their first communion. And I'm going to start with the role of Christian family in a modern world, section 36, and I quote, As the Second Vatican Council recalled, since parents have conferred life on their children, they have a most solemn obligation to educate their offspring. Hence, parents must be acknowledged as the first and foremost educators of their children. Their role as educators is so decisive that scarcely anything can compensate for their failure in it. And he goes on. The right and duty of parents to give education is essential, and it is irreplaceable 
and inalienable and therefore incapable of being entirely delegated to others or usurped by others. Now, that's probably about the strongest teaching that I've encountered, and this is, by the way, reverberated in the Catechism of the Catholic Church about primary, first, essential, irreplaceable role of parents as educators. Well, if that's the case, um, shouldn't they be preparing their children for First Communion? Shouldn't they be the ones teaching the real presence of Christ, not only to acknowledge that truth and believe that truth, but to, in a certain sense, live that truth? Now, why would parents be better than, say, uh, someone who maybe even went to a, a great Catholic uh, university, maybe even has a master's degree in theology and teaching a class for uh, First Communion? Why would parents be as good or better? Why would they be first and foremost? Well, St. John Paul II tells you, you've conferred life. Parents have a bond with their children that no other person on earth has. And it's that bond which enables whatever they're sharing about the faith to root deeper. Listen to a passage which we covered when we went through the book of Proverbs for, for families, but this is from Proverbs chapter 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart always. Now, see, this is the difference. Sitting in a classroom and conveying religious information to children without any relational bond outside of that classroom between teacher and student, and a wise teacher can perhaps develop some relational bonds outside the classroom, but it's not going to equal what parents can do to lodge that teaching in the heart of a child. And by the heart, I am not talking about the emotions. That's when Americans read the word heart in the Bible and they think, oh, that's that warm, fuzzy part of what I feel like when I hear a great hymn or something. No, the heart is the deepest, most profound center of a person. And parental teaching can lodge there. And that's why it's so effective. Proverbs 6 goes on, it says, and when you walk, they will lead you. And walking means, <laughs> you know, you're not going to stumble and trip or something like that. Your walk means your whole manner of life. And you'll be, rather than steered by the crowd, you'll be steered, your course of life will be steered by your parental teaching that has been lodged in your heart. It says, when you awake, they will talk with you. Now, I don't recommend uh, expecting parents teaching their children, their children, you know, hearing voices from the ceiling, but this is how it works. The Holy Spirit is very active in every Christian's life if we just have those ears to hear. And the way the Holy Spirit can really help you in, in a crisis situation or making an important moral decision when you're out on your own with a driver's license or off to college away from your parents. You're, you're, you're trying to make this important moral decision. Well, if there's a scripture that have, and a, a truth of the faith that has been taught by parents that is lodged in the heart, well, 
the Holy Spirit will awaken that at that critical time and provide that impulse to go the right way. It's kind of hard to, Holy Spirit, and it can, don't get me wrong, but you know, it's so much better to have something to work with. And if it's in there, the Holy Spirit can awaken it at the critical time. And it says further, the commandment is the lamp and teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And that's the critical thing. It's not simply having facts today. A lot of people have facts. In fact, if it's just simply having religious facts is all you need, then let's put Wikipedia up for sainthood. But there's more than that. We're human beings. We have to respond to something. So coming back to preparing for First Communion, this is section 2225 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Through the grace of the sacrament of marriage, parents receive the responsibility and privilege of evangelizing their children. Parents should initiate their children at an early age into the mysteries of the faith. Now, the mysteries of the faith, including the great graces of the sacraments of the faith. Now, let me bring this back. Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 2225, versus the upcoming Indianapolis Eucharistic Conference in 2024. And don't get me wrong, I applaud the U.S. bishops for being concerned about things like the Pew Survey, which I just gave you. I applaud them for actually taking some concrete steps and doing something. What I'm recommending, and I'm not saying don't go to Indianapolis, but if you really want a revival of belief in the real presence and thus rekindle mass attendance, which has been on a downward slope for years— and basically the coronavirus lockdowns, which kept Catholics away from mass, a a lot of religious leaders, Protestants and Catholic, were a little surprised that many people just didn't come back. And that could have been a huge mistake. But in any case, um, what is being planned in Indianapolis is that they've hired an event planner who did events like when the World Bank had a worldwide conference or for Trump's inauguration and the Republicans spent $25 million on the inauguration ceremony. Well, the Eucharistic Congress has has handled uh, or hired the same fella who organized Trump inauguration for $25 million. He's charging the Catholic bishops $28 billion. Okay. Now, again, I really appreciate not sitting back and just saying, oh my, but making a plan and doing something, even at the cost of $28 million. But here's my advice, and who am I? But (laughs) whatever, I'll, I'll give my little contribution, and it's this. If you want to do something really big, then start with something small, like the family. Now, you may or may not know that Right before I launched the Family Life Center, I was involved in big projects in Florida. And a friend and I and my children organized a life chain throughout the state of Florida. And we got 157,000 people the same hour throughout Florida, 290 miles of pro-lifers. There's never been any 
type of uh, statewide pro-life event since, since Roe versus Wade, at least. Also a part of a very small group, about a dozen people, organizing a march on our state capitol in Tallahassee of 10,000 people. Uh, as a result of these things, I had the occasion to sit down across from the Vice President of the United States, had a phone conversation with the First Lady of the United States, got lots of press, and yet, as a result of John Paul II's influence, I finished up working really, really, really hard at those big projects. But then I turned my attention to a project that has the potential to do something really big, but it started really small. And in my view, and it's taken me a while in life to get here, that God seems to like taking the small things, like a nun down in Alabama making fishing lures to try to start a TV network. What a ridiculous plan. Who would ever think something like that could succeed without millions and millions of dollars? Well, somebody said in Matthew 13, 31, it was actually Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, the birds making nests in its branches is imagery straight from the Old Testament, and it's referring to the world's political leaders coming and rooting or nesting, so to speak, within the truths of the Christian faith. Now, we think by watching news commentary and debates for the next four years or whatever is going to change things. And again, I, I vote every time. I vote for runoffs and the whole bit. But if you really want to change something, it's and if you want to get the leaders of the world you start small. And one of those small places to start, according to John Paul II, is the family. In fact, I believe that the Holy Spirit really guided and directed him in that way. He just didn't say family is a nice thing. Anybody can say that. You don't even have to be a Christian to say that, but to really focus the church's attention on the family because that's that small thing that God can use to change the big thing. And I'll just throw in another PS, but, you know, groups, apostolates, and uh, people on, like, Catholic radio and everything else, when, when you hear them saying things like, we are the biggest, or we are the greatest, or we're the smartest, or we're the best, or whatever, that's dangerous stuff, because God delights in using the small, and letting it grow till that kingdom embraces the world. Now, should we have classes for First Communion? Now, whether or not we have classes for children for First Communion, I think is a nice idea and it's optional, not necessary. What? Yes, because first and foremost, essential is the role of parents in catechesis. 
So yes, I do believe we should have classes for First Communion for parents, and they should be top talent teaching those classes. It should be such a winsome, uh, inviting, nourishing, and worthwhile environment that parents will want to come without being required to come. And somebody will say, well, we've tried stuff like that, and uh, nobody came. Okay, well, how about this? What if your bishop was coming from wherever he is and decided to teach the first class? Would people come then? Of course they would. Well, this is what John Paul II said in section 73 of the role of the Christian family in the modern world. The person principally responsible in the diocese for the pastoral care of the family is the bishop. As father and pastor, he must exercise particular solicitude in this clear priority sector of pastoral care. He most must devote to it personal interest, care, time, personnel, and resources, but above all, personal support for the families. Now, this is another PS, but yeah, maybe we need to have a little smaller diocese so our bishops can not only just administer the big picture, but actually be fathers and pastors uh, in the smaller picture and just kick it off. And then what if the second class was taught by your priest? And then after that, whatever groups would normally be taking over such classes, they could take over. But having your bishop and your priest start this, it would work. And you would get parents to be catechized to the point that they could catechize their children with truths that would lodge in their heart, that would become a way of life, and it would never fill a need to stray from the path that their parents had given them, ultimately through these classes, through the uh, other parents teaching them, the priest, and ultimately the bishop. Now, St. John Paul II was way ahead of his time. Um, I don't think uh, the church has really caught up with the role of the Christian family in a modern world. It's been 40 years. I've been at Catholic family life ministry for 30 years, and it really hasn't. I mean, they'll give very polite acknowledgement, but to take his words to heart and actually do them and making such priorities, it still waits. And uh, it's good to desire to do something, to change things, to renew the church, but this is what John Paul II said. The apostolate of the family as one of the priority tasks rendered even more urgent by the present state of the world. The present state of the world making the outreach to family even more urgent, and I'm just going to just say it, the old ways of doing catechesis, getting kids in a classroom for 45 minutes by itself is not holding up in the secular world. The culture is strong enough now and its ability to undermine the faith that something else is needed and that what is needed today in 2022 was clearly taught 40 years ago by St. John Paul II and it's waiting. And it's good, 
It's good to be motivated. It's good to be concerned about the crisis of faith and about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but it's also good to have the wisdom to follow Jesus and looking for the small that God will take and use to make into something that is way beyond our expectations. This is what he said in the next section, section 75. All that you succeed in doing to support the family is destined to have an effectiveness that goes beyond its own sphere and reaches other people too and has an effect on society. The future of the world and of the church passes through the family. And you know what the real crisis is right now? The real crisis is the nuns. And I'm not talking about the women wearing religious habits, spelled N-U-N-S, but I'm talking about the N-O-N-E-S. Those millennials, the 26 to 41-year-olds, when they're surveyed in a religious survey, and what is your religious preference or attachment? And they'll respond, none. And that is the future of America. It's growing, it's expanding, it's gonna have implications for every set of life. And I've just come across a very interesting graph in a book called Endgame. And it showed a graph of the growth of the religious nuns that exactly paralleled the growth of children who were raised in families without both parents present. You know, the last episode, I shared with you uh, what John Paul II shared in the role of Christian family in the modern world, the forgotten secret to lifelong marriage. This isn't getting out to people in the pew. How many have put together the idea that the blessed Eucharist, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, could have a real effect on their married life? That's what the last episode was all about. And you, what are you going to do about the nuns? N-O-N-E-S. They're not coming to Indianapolis, but they are in families. And so the future of the world and of the church passes through the family. And this is where the church, if it wants to renew itself and the wider world, simply heed the blueprint that God has given us through St. John Paul II. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 383 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.